We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verses 1 to 16. Um, if you have a Bible in any of its forms, I'd encourage you to turn there. Uh, otherwise, just listen to the text as it's read this morning. Oh, thank you, Lord. Let me find it. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days at Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. And David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me. And yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, something he never should have said, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, where do you come from? <clears throat> and he answered, I am a son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. David said to him, how is it that you are not afraid to put your own hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, your blood be on your own head. For your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. This is God's word. You may be seated as we go into prayer this morning. Father, as we gather before your throne today, I just am thankful, first off, as we have said, for all of those who have served this great country of ours, who have provided for us the protection, who have provided for this world the protection against evil, against those who would attempt to conquer, to destroy, and to eliminate human beings who are made in your image in ways that just don't even begin to make sense. So I just pray your blessing upon all of the soldiers and all of those who serve in the military around this world for, for our country. I pray for my son, I pray for Brady, I pray for Zach, and I pray for anybody else who is attached here to this church and all those who are attached to our families, Lord. I pray peace. I pray your protection over them. I pray your grace and your mercy be upon them. Remind them, Lord, how much you love them. Remind them that they are being prayed for back home and that you love them and that we love them as well and I'm thankful, Lord, for them. Pray, Lord, for Ray and for Melissa, Melissa being homesick with Molly. I pray your healing be upon her today and upon Molly as well and that you would just continue to strengthen both of those young ladies and I pray for Raymond as well as they continue to, to work through what to do with the tumor that has come back, I pray your, your healing be upon him. But again, I pray for continued peace for his family.
for Taj and for Patty and for Flossie and for all of those other folks here within our body and within our extended family, Lord, and the community of Christ who are struggling with sickness and with, with loneliness this time of the year and with having to deal with the loss of loved ones and the reminders as the year passes once again and the holidays are upon us. I pray that you would bring peace to those folks who are struggling at this time. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would go with each and every one of these boxes. That, Lord, wherever these boxes land in the lap of a child in this world, that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed. That the love of Christ would, would go, would fill their hearts, would soften their spirits, and would make them to hear the gospel. That you would call a people for your own out of these little children just because of a box that is filled with little things that are needed for them, things that we don't think are that big of a deal but mean the world to the children that get them. I pray, Lord, that out of this great launching out of here, these boxes and the boxes that are sent from every church across this country, that salvations would be seen, that encounters with Jesus would be had, that young people, little people and their parents would ask about who this Jesus of Nazareth is, this, this person who we know to be your divine son. Open their hearts up, Lord, and make their spirits fertile soil for the seed of the gospel. Father, I pray your blessing upon these as they go out. I ask, Lord, that your word would be made clear today, that your Holy Spirit would be with us all, that you would prepare our hearts as we take a look at the scriptures today. Pray, Lord, for our government as we are now in official transition. We ask, Lord, that you would give wisdom both to President Obama as he begins the process of leaving office. Pray that you give wisdom to President-elect Trump and President, Vice President-elect Pence that you would, you would speak to their hearts, Lord, that you would give them wisdom that is necessary to lead this country. I pray for unity. We are bitterly divided in this country, Lord. We are bitterly divided in the church over this election. And I confess, quite frankly, to you that I am tired of the nonsense, Lord. We as your people have not behaved as we should. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a light irrespective of who leads this country. We are called to be a people after your heart. We are called to be a people who praise. We are called to be a people who seek your face. We are called to be a people who are a light in a dark place. We are called to be the prophetic voice of your kingdom. Help us to do that, Lord. But I pray your anointing upon our entire government that they would have the wisdom to lead and lead well. This country is in desperate need of men and women of character who lead us well. Help us to be on our knees every day before you, Lord, as the command of Scripture tells us. And I pray that the peace of Christ would reign and rule. We give you thanks, Father, for the ability to have a voice in how it is we are governed. We just lift all these things up to you now, Lord, as we go into your word this morning. Make our hearts tender towards you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I have prayed myself through half of my time, so it looks like you're stuck.
It is what it is. I titled the message this week, David's Response. I think it's a very accurate and short but concise title, and I think that it says everything. And what I want us to focus on this week as we get into this somewhat tough piece of scripture this morning is that the people of God have a responsibility to react, to respond, and to function differently within this world. Most especially when we don't get our way or we have been wronged. We need to remember that. And we're going to find that out today as we dig into the text. And I suspect most of you are old as I am. Some of you might be a wee bit older. Um, But I think... (laughs) I don't know if any of you have heard, I suspect that many of you have heard the tune written by a 19-year-old by the name of P.J. Sloan. It was made famous in 1965 by a guy by the name of Barry Maguire, titled Eve of Destruction. I listened to that song a lot this week for whatever reason. It was a catchy tune. I liked it, so I kept listening to it over and over again. And quite frankly, it could be written for today. The entire song could fit very perfectly in the situations that we have today. And one of the lines that really stuck out to me as he sang the song, as I listened to it over and over again, and I posted this this week, he very simply said, you hate your neighbor, but you don't forget to bow your head and say grace. And that just, it convicted me because it was a line that was a bit bitter and a bit hurtful that it was being sung by Barry McGuire and it was written by P.J. Sloan. And it was a convicting thing as I listened to it over and over again. You see, musicians and writers down through the ages often reveal the deep hearts, the deep hurts, and the deep thoughts of the culture in which they live in and in which they write. Why pen such a line if there wasn't at some place in the heart of this 19-year-old an expectation at some level that the culture and the society of the day didn't expect a different attitude? from those who are supposed to bow their head and pray, the church. The expectation was that we were supposed to, but there was also an attachment to that. What do we do? How do we respond when the whole place spirals absolutely out of control and bitterness towards one another seems the norm for our culture? How do we handle these things? The church is supposed to stand out and above and over and how it is we react and how it is we respond and how it is we function in our society. As the people of God, we cannot bow before a holy God and hate our neighbor. We cannot do that. We cannot bow before a holy God and hate those who are different or who think different or who look different or who respond differently. We cannot hate our enemies. We cannot, as though they are getting what they deserve because they have bad people, and then help in the process of making sure they get what's coming to them. You see, according to the scriptures, that violates the very core of who God is and who Jesus has called us to be as his people. God's people for God's world, shining a light in places of darkness. Not acting like darkness and then proclaiming that we're light, but shining a light and living in a way that actually stands out and over and against what the world puts out before us. That's how we're supposed to respond. You see, King David shows his heart in our text here this morning in the scriptures, and he shows his spirit, which is after God, and we know this, and it's how it is he responds to the death of Jonathan and to the death of Saul. 
What's shocking is that he does this in spite of and after all of the things that Saul has spent his entire life doing to David. So we're going to take a little bit of a journey back because the young man who shows up on the pages of Scripture here this morning thought very wrongly when he reported to David what had happened to the king and to his son. He thought very wrongly. He assumed that David, after all of the years of being abused by Saul, the anointed king in waiting, would be thrilled with the news that Saul was dead. That was the assumption. So he sets himself up with this lie, this fabrication that he's made up, in the hopes of being looked at and called and exalted the one who finally took care of that wicked King Saul who had been abusing David. The scriptures tell us, by chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man says, and there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called me. And I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? I answered him, I am an Amalekite, which makes him the enemy, not even an Israelite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me for anguish has seized me and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, the symbols of Saul's power. We talked about those last week. And I have brought them here to my Lord. Ooh. Seeming quite a matter of fact with his report, he seems confident for himself and a good ending for the day. But he couldn't have been more wrong as a human being. He could not have misjudged David worse than he did because even Saul's armor bearer at the time of that battle exercised more sense than this Amalekite young man. He knew that doing such things was wrong to the Lord's anointed. If we journey a little bit farther back into 1 Samuel 31, we read this, then Saul said to his armor bearer, this is the battle in which Saul died, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. There's a smart man right there. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell upon his sword and died with him. You see, the armor bearer's responsibility was to protect the king. I'm not going to kill you. Now you kill yourself. Okay, I can die. So he did nothing until he saw Saul take his own life. Then he killed himself. But he refused to lift his hand against the king. He would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointing. This thinking and this mindset didn't just happen with this guy, however. And I can say that pretty confidently because in David's response to the story this young man brings to him, that's how I can say with confidence. After hearing the report, which would not have been an abnormal thing, he would have wanted to curry favor with the king. Oh, look what I did for you in the hopes of getting something. David says this, or it were recorded for us, then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And David tore his clothes. That's a sign of grief. That's a sign of mourning. It's a sign of loss. That is not a sign of joy. And so did all of his men with him. David set the tone and by example showed how the appropriate way to respond was. But what's strange here and what God shows or what shows God's heart in David is the fact that David didn't need to do this. He was under no real obligation according to the customs and the culture to act in this way. None at all. That's what shows God's heart within David. And he wasn't obligated to because of the way that he had been treated by Saul for at least the prior 10 or 12 years. 
And there's an aside here that we have to take this morning as we take a look at the scriptures. We need to bring it to our hearts. This was not a new way of responding for David. It wasn't something that he just came up with this day. This was a pattern for him that we're going to see as we go forward this morning in the scriptures. And it's one of the reasons why Saul's armor bearer himself refused to lift his hand against David. He had seen, or against Saul, he had seen David in the past respond this way when he had opportunity to get rid of Saul. And even though David had been mistreated for years and years and years, he would set the tone for his people by doing what was right, not what he wanted. You see, the first incident, and I'm not going to take too much time this morning to go through all the texts, or we'll be here until tomorrow, but I want to encourage you to get into your scriptures and read them daily. So you search these things out, and you just take a look to see if what I'm saying to you is right this morning. 1 Samuel, we're going to land in chapter 18, verses 8 to 10. He tried not once, Saul himself, but twice to try and kill David. Jealousy, fear, and a massive insecurity complex on this man on the part of Saul drove him to do this. And the scriptures tell us, starting in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 18, the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. That was one of the ways that David served the king in order to calm him down. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. It's not what I would call a kind-hearted king or a very kingly act. You see, the second incident that we see where Saul attempts to take David's life is we see his irrationality again. We see his instability, something we need to take note of for ourselves as we engage the world. He tries once again to kill David. Why? The scriptures tell us this, that David is successful and people like him more than Saul. Grown-up five-year-old running the country. I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to go home. 1 Samuel 19, verses 9 and 10. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. And as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, bit of advice, you see somebody with a spear in their hand, don't hang out. This is twice now. David was playing the lyre. So if you're playing a guitar and somebody's got a spear in your hand, I wouldn't do it. Saul sought to pin David to the wall with his spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear, or stuck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. That's twice. Unjustly, this king. The king, by the way, that the whole nation wanted, if we recall. This is the king they asked for. David never once lifts his hand against this king. Not once. Please understand that and take this to heart as we address these scriptures. How do you respond in your life when you are wronged by somebody? How do you respond when somebody makes you so angry you just want to Do you seek to defend yourself? Do you seek to lash out? Do you go on the attack? I don't feel bad asking you these questions this morning because you hear me talk once, but I've gone over this seven or eight times this week. So I've been convicted quite a bit. Okay, so you're just going to have to deal with this for the next 20 minutes or so. Do you hold grudges? Do you grab on to unforgiveness towards those who you feel have harmed you in some way? I challenge you to ask yourself these things in your prayer time and in your Bible study time. We need to be very aware that all of these things are potentials, if not the common or natural way that we as human beings respond to being wronged. They may not be the natural way in which we instantly react, but they have the potential if we are not careful. 
See, it makes us bitter and it makes us mean and it makes us damage the relationships that we have not only with God, but with each other. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. We lose communion with God and we lose the relationships with our friends. We lose the ability to witness to the gospel. Now, I'm not advocating that we put ourselves in bad situations over and over again like we're some sort of twisted masochist and feel like we need to be beat up in order to be justified before God. That's not what I'm saying. So please, don't go do that. Just make sure that you are very aware, very aware of how your heart responds when you are deeply hurt or wronged by somebody. Be very aware of that. You see, because in light of how Saul has acted, we see David's response. What is that response? Well, he spares Saul's life, not once, but twice. In 1 Samuel 24, and again, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles this week. Open them up when you get home. I leave it for you to read. Dig into these chapters. We find that David had opportunity, motive, and technically the right in the minds of many to exact revenge upon King Saul. I mean, after all, Saul had already tried twice to off David. We find out in 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 4, and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you. They're all excited. Oh yeah, we can kill him now. Behold, I'll give you your enemy into your hands and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him. If you underline in your Bible, if you highlight I want you to underline that. All he did was cut the corner of the king's robe and afterward, David's heart struck him. Do you want to know why he's a man after God's heart? Continuing, because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded him, his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So what's so important about that encounter in the cave? His men see how he responds. His men see how he responds. The true king acts as a true king ought to act. That's what they see. God's heart is right here we see a true king acting as a true king ought to act. He's not given lip service. In action, as the king goes, so goes the country. It's another deep truth that I want you to store up in your heart. As the king goes, so goes the country. Be very careful whom you seek to lead you and whom you seek to follow and declare to be the one chosen to lead. Be very careful. David didn't look the part at all. We've learned that. This little wee son of Jesse was just a shepherd boy. He didn't fit the attitude of the world in the way in which he responded, in the way in which he was kingly. He didn't act the way of the world. Not at all. In other words, everything the narcissistic, egotistical, insecure, and arrogant Saul was, David wasn't. David wasn't. Once again, presented with another opportunity, David does not take it. And I want you to hear this. He lays his rights down. 
before the Lord's will. He lays his rights down. He had a right, but that doesn't make it right. He had a right, but he laid it down before the Lord's will. To be a man after God's heart, you do things a certain way. You don't compromise in order to protect your rights. We find in the scriptures that Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. There's a guy you want running your army. And I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. In other words, the Lord has his time I will not be a part of that. As bizarre, as mean, and as evil as Saul was, David understood that he was the king that the people wanted and the king that God had anointed. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, 1 Samuel 26, 11. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again until it's deeply embedded in our spirits because it continually comes to my mind once again, I've preached this to myself six, seven, eight times this week. So I'm, I'm very convicted in these things and asking the Lord where I need to improve. But this continually comes to my mind that we cannot compromise the character of our king or the credibility of the gospel in order that we may be able to preserve our rights. We cannot do it. David is the perfect example of that. It's an unbiblical position, and it's one that David makes very clear with all of his actions here today. We have them recorded for us as examples for us. You see, this young Amalekite thought it was going to be okay, and he had no idea what he was doing. And there are times, quite frankly, when the church, Big C, the church universal, most especially here in America, doesn't know what it's doing either. It thinks that it's doing the right thing. Listen, we are called to be a peculiar people in a particular way. And if we don't look no different than the world, what are we doing? What are we doing? If we respond the same way the world does, how are we different? How are we different? I've been so unsettled myself, and maybe this is just my own bizarre, twisted head, as I see these comments that the church itself puts out. I, I got nothing except I just don't even understand. How, how can we justify those things that we say? We're compromising our king, the credibility of our witness in this world, all in order that we can get up tomorrow and ensure that our rights are defended. Listen, that's not how we're supposed to live. Paul begins his letter to the church in Thessalonica with the encouraging words of these folks being imitators of Paul and his companions. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much what? Affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Notice two things. First, they did so in much what? Affliction. They did so in much affliction. Not exactly what we want to hear, but there it is. Right smack on the pages of Scripture. There you have it. 
there will be suffering and affliction if we follow Christ. Can't get around it. We live out the gospel of Christ in the culture in which we live in. There will be affliction. Second, they took that affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in. If we are not filled with God's Spirit and His power to get up every day and be God's people for God's world, we cannot endure trial and suffering. We cannot even endure the snarky comments that we have as we go to our place of work. We cannot endure the inability of our rights being taken away to be able to pray somewhere if we are not filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy and suffering doesn't happen either if we hold unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts towards those who have wronged us. We will not find joy in suffering if we are bitter and we are unforgiving. And that includes our enemies. That includes those who we feel are not exactly up to par. I want you to keep in mind we are all enemies of God at some point. We are all enemies of God at some point. But he called us. That's why you're here. If you know Jesus, he called you. He redeemed you. He sanctified you. But make no mistake about it, at some point in our life, we were all enemies of God. And he overlooked that because of what Jesus did on the cross. David sets clearly before us when he responds as he does how we as human beings and Christians are to respond in this world. Yet we act as though these things can always be massaged and qualified away with all kinds of excuses. Do I really need to? How many times? Well, that person really was mean. I didn't get my cookies today like I wanted to get my cookies, so I'm just not going to let that. We take a look at these stories and we think, well, maybe David just grieved over Jonathan. He really wasn't mad that Saul was gone. So we don't really need to forgive a Saul-type person. See, no, no. We think maybe Paul wrote just about the brothers and sisters in Christ and not our true enemies in the world who are mean to us. No, no. See, we can start there. That's actually the best place for us to start. Start here. Look around this room, your brothers and sisters in Christ those whom you encounter every single day, how, how do we respond to them? How do we respond to them? One of the things I like to tell people is we need to stop shooting our own wounded in the church. We are so good at that. We forget to exercise and extend that beautiful grace that Jesus has given to each and every one of us. And we shoot our own wounded. And I say that because the world is watching how we operate. The world is watching how we, as the church of Jesus, operates. Paul further clears things up for us, and it's almost as though he knew that we would bean count our way into doing only what we needed to. Must be the Pharisee in him. He knew exactly how to work the system, and he knew that human beings being human beings, we would do the same thing. He continues in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. There's two things I want to draw out as we're coming to a close this morning. Anyone and everyone. Those are pretty inclusive words, aren't they? Not a real narrow kind of thing that Paul's talking about here. 
The world is watching. And my heart's cry as your pastor, my heart's cry for myself, my heart's cry for anybody who follows Christ, is that Christ is formed in you as the hope of glory in such a way that that's what comes out so that we can respond the way that David responded to things that are wrong. So that we can live as Paul commands us to here in the scriptures and show the world that the church of Christ is actually different than the world in its ways. That's my, that's my prayer, is that Christ is formed in you, the hope of glory. And I want to close with these words as the worship team comes up from Paul in his letter to the church in Colossae. And you'll probably just want to write the scriptures down. In fact, why don't you just read Colossians chapter 3? And a lot of homework this week. You guys aren't going to come back next week. But I want to read these things to you. Because if the Bible is our guidebook for living, which is core value number two for me, we have to be reading it. How can it be our guidebook every day if we don't open it? How can we live it if we aren't studying it? And most importantly, how is it we can remember what it is we're supposed to do if we aren't hearing his words through the scriptures? Paul says this, Colossians 3, verses 5 and 8, just wants to make sure he's real clear with all of us. He tells us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in us, sexual immorality, purity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. All of those things take the place of who God is in our life. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. To me, that's one of the most hopeful verses I've ever read. In these, you too once walked. When you were living in them. That means that we aren't there anymore. But now you must put them away. Anger, all the things that Saul had. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, he goes on to say this, which are all characteristics of David. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, which means you have been chosen. You belong to him. So as a result, put these things on, just like you put your clothes on in the morning. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and guess what? Patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That only happens if you get into his word every day, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The beautiful thing of the Holy Scriptures for us is that that right there is our hope. We have the ability, being filled in the Holy Spirit, to live this way. We choose to step into that. You see, the armor of David, as Paul emphasizes in Ephesians and in here, is this. That's what made this son of Jesse a man after God's own heart. 
He clothed himself with these types of things so that whenever anything was done wrong with him, he responded the way God wanted him to respond, not the way he had a right to respond. He laid that right down. He clothed himself with the compassion and the kindness and the humility and the meekness and the patience. And I want to encourage you. I understand that this is one of those words that we all sit back and go, oh, my word. I say it for a third time. I had to do this seven times this week, so I feel for you. You know, the conviction in my heart and the areas that I know that I'm missing as your pastor, I want to encourage you to get into the word, pray for you every day that Christ is formed in you, that he is formed in me, that we can then go out from here as a community of believers in Virgins, Vermont, as Assembly of God Christian Center, and we can encounter the world and the world can see in us something that's dynamically different than what the world has to offer. Not just another thing that we can try out and it might work for you or it might not work for you, but that the gospel of Christ is dynamically different than the circus and the nonsense that this world has to offer. But in order for us to do that, we cannot compromise what it is we see as a core conviction in God in order to protect ourselves. We receive with joy the affliction that comes with being a follower of Christ. And trust me, in the United States of America, what we consider to be suffering is really not. It's really not. Gas cramps. It's really not suffering. It's just gas cramps. There are too many people in this world who don't know who Jesus is, and they're waiting for you to show them. Let's stand. as we all come before you this morning I confess as just one of your kids I have a hard time each and every day making sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to and in wrestling through these areas of this, this word this week I was convicted by your spirit that there's places that I'm falling short and I confess that to you before this body and I ask, Lord, that you would clothe me with your spirit and you would help me to walk in those ways in a way that glorifies you and minimizes me. I pray that every single person here as we close in this last song, Father, you would pour your spirit out upon us. You would make their hearts so tender to your word and to, you, and to your call and to those folks that they come in contact with each day that they would look at them and say, that person bears your image and they need Jesus. What can I do? encourage them today? What can I do to be Jesus in some way to them? Whether it be in your place of work, whether it be at home with your kids, whether it be just walking down the street or going to a restaurant, how can I show the love of Jesus? Fill them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Father, we have prayer teams around this place this morning, and I just pray for all those folks this morning who are struggling with, with anything, with some of the things that we spoke about this morning in your word. Your word is alive, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It convicts. And it convicts because we are your children and you love us and you want us to respond. So I just pray that you would just give the courage to folks today. If they are in need of prayer, we have prayer teams in the front and in the back. Encourage them to step out as we sing this last song this morning. And Father, I pray your, your blessing upon every one of them. I thank you for them. I thank you that they're here. 
thank you, Lord, that they call you their own. And I pray that you would bring abundant blessings upon them, that you would protect them, that you would walk with them each day that they go out into this world. That they would be a light in a dark place. And that they would shine the heart of David in all of the things that they do. And I ask these things in the name of the one who was promised to King David, our king, the one and only king, Jesus, your son.